Here we are at season two, ready to talk about Shockwave part two. And maybe this is a good enough place to start with this as any clay because it's fairly inconsequential to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was actually watching this thinking this is a like totally arbitrary change, but I think it would have impacted how I felt about the uh, first season. What if Shockwave part one and two were a double episode that ended season one? I was thinking the same thing, actually. Okay, so I, yeah, I, I thought it was. I don't know if maybe maybe this is a bigger discussion that we can like actually toss into the main part of it. But I was I was watching this thing. I think I would have preferred this episode if this was the season finale of season one because I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like the resolution here isn't one that kickstarts a new season. It's one that um closes the old season. So maybe this is a, b- a bigger topic for anything. But anyway, how are you? Welcome to season two. Oh, I'm good. Thanks. Um. Yeah, no, I, I felt the same way because I ultimately didn't feel like anything was really achieved in this other than kind of uh, capping the first season. So yeah. it's, it, yeah, I think it would have, <clears throat> I mean, you've got, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you end the season with this, it's kind of not really, you're not really coming into season two with the, with the guns blazing mm-hmm. as far as, um, you know, uh, uh, anxious to see what happens next because yeah. it's sort of like yeah no everything's gonna be fine we're just gonna go back out there um but yeah story-wise it does it does definitely feel like it is the uh it should probably have been the the closing episode of the first season it's one of those things like if it was a, a season one finale you just put that little uh discovery season one-esque tag of it's the enterprise you know you just have to mm-hmm. you leave it with one scene that's like oh boy how are they going to resolve that but also speaking of that uh on the recap that they show they go out of their way in the show itself to refer to the enterprise as just enterprise yeah and in the recap scott bacula says previously on the enterprise oh really that's not even the name of the show (laughs) the name of the show is enterprise previously on our enterprise interesting previously on the star trek next generation erstwhile on fargo um all right well let's take a break we'll play a quote from the episode we'll come back and then we will break down shockwave part deux if this place was destroyed as long ago as it seems to have been then what are you doing here you and your watchdog buddies don't exactly fit in with all this thinking of time travel like we're in some hg wells novel we're not it's far more complicated There's no way for you to understand. Try me. Listen, I realize your little utopia is gone and I sympathize. But if you're telling me the truth, if you've brought me 800 years into the future, into this future, I think I deserve some answers. I don't have any answers. And you're right. I shouldn't be here. Which means you shouldn't be here either. But you are. We are. We brought you here to protect the timeline. (laughs) We did quite a job. All right, so uh, Shockwave Part 2 is the first episode of the second season of Star Trek Enterprise. It aired on the 18th of September, 2002. It is the second of the two episodes in the Shockwave arc, the sixth of the 13 episodes in the Temporal Cold War arc, written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. that's a lot of subsets you get going on there. <laughs> Directed by Ellen Croker in Universe Date is February 2152 and circa 3052. In this 28th, episode, 28th episode of the fifth season of the second version of Star Trek. 
In this episode, as the Suliban take the crew hostage, Archer disappears off the ship. While stuck in the 31st century, Archer and Daniels work to find a way to get back to Enterprise and repair the timeline, which is horribly broken. And actually, I was wondering, I know that I've said leading off our season one coverage, I had never seen uh, or I'd, I'd stopped watching the episodes like one after the other sequentially after the first season. I've seen episodes of Enterprise that are later than the first season, but I have not watched all of them, and I have not watched mm-hmm. them like sequentially. I was actually wondering if I finished watching Shockwave because I, th- I, I don't know how I feel about this episode overall. Maybe the conversation will kind of uh, finalize that or cement that in my brain for me, but I, um, I got a distinct sense that when they came back and they did this episode, they spent the two months off or whatever they had reconciling what the problems are in some ways like mm-hmm. they, they've actually solved a lot of our criticisms here in some ways um i was thinking in terms of daniels and they they finally feel like they at least have an idea about what the temporal cold war is supposed to be out they confirm in this episode right. that it's about right. stopping the federation from forming is mm-hmm. the main mm-hmm. uh pro- the main reason that the suliban and them are trying to do this uh so that's nice and i was wondering if i had just absorbed that and subconsciously was remembering it as that but so we, we get things like that the downside of this is that it's a pretty cliche Star Trek Part Two of a double header thing, which is relying on a lot of action to resolve everything. Mm-hmm. I will say I generally don't like action episodes like that. I thought this one was okay in a lot of ways. Like the the more I think about this one, the less I kind of like it. But while I was watching it, I was kind of like, "This is an okay action episode that they're serving up to me." What do you think about it? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was fine. Um... I, I, I'm really kind of conflicted about it because I don't really have too many surface level problems with it. I think that it moves pretty well and uh, you've got stuff going on to keep you interested, but I guess, but it's just like, I don't really know, especially given the stuff that they're talking about and the place that it ends. I don't really think that they earned that speech at the end. Um, because I don't know, Archer didn't really learn anything by going to the future other than that there's a thing called the Federation that he might be involved in. And the Romulan Romulan Star Empire, which he's not allowed to look at. Yeah, Daniels just should have, should have said that was a, a fiction novel and you shouldn't pay any more attention to that. <laughs> it's one, one of Dickens' um, uh, lesser-known works is right. the Romulan Star Empire. But, you know, like, we don't spend enough time with Archer in the future for him to, like, learn anything from being th- in the 31st century or whatever. Well, that's the funny thing um, about the placement. Doesn't the, the speech here at the end of this episode works better in the context of the first season? Where if, yeah, if you, exactly, exactly. If you summarize yeah. that as, like... You know, I really enjoyed the way Soval, the uh, Vulcan ambassador, lists off all the fuck-ups that they've had over the course of the first season. And then Archer's like, but anyway, I once saw a gazelle get born and then eaten by a wild coyote, and that was pretty fucking crazy. So what do you guys think about that? I I love that because it's like, humans aren't like that. Sometimes we have to have multiple conflicts and start an intergalactic incident uh, before we learn how to walk. But we get there eventually. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. The gazelle walking isn't exactly a one-to-one with what you guys have been doing out yeah. in space, but I appreciate the effort. It's like if the gazelle was born and then held up a convenience store, and then you yes. know, like it, it has to commit a few <laughs> random acts of uh, violence against people before we can learn it's, anything. It's like it's like the gazelle was born and then uh, accelerated the Cold War between America and Russia. Right. Yeah. 
I, that, that's um, the that's the funny thing about the placement though is like I think within the context of if you were to start off season two and you watch this you go like what the hell is Archer talking about but as a closeout to season one I think it it functions at least in a um, proximity effect better than like I, I would agree right. the Archer doesn't really learn anything that would cause him to have this great speech at the end or like uh, a rebuttal to Silva's point but I do think that um, it just makes more sense if you air it directly after that episode that comes before shockwave part one right yes yeah but yeah i mean even that that speech aside like i we don't spend enough time with archer in the future for any of the future stuff to really matter um it makes the daniel stuff that much more complicated because if he died what i was what i was saying previously like oh maybe the daniels who died is a daniels from the the future like that's just the end of his time is in the is in the past from what we are seeing right. when you start getting um, really confusing with the timeline possibilities yeah about what's going on that that doesn't really work because then that daniels would have known that this stuff already happened you know right. i don't know yeah uh but like yeah you don't spend enough time in the future for the future to really have an impact on archer or the, on the story really except for this understanding that the feder archer's disappearance means the federation never happens which maybe that's enough i don't know um it was enough for me because it cements what the stakes are in the cold war which sure is is the bad it's the way we didn't want it to go which is archer is the key cog here archer is Mm -hmm. the messiah person who will cause like if you remove archer from all of this and daniels even says something he's like it's apparently not even enterprise it's you that's the the key to all Mm. of this which is whatever you know that's it's it's putting all of that onto one person as if the Federation couldn't be formed by if Archer were to disappear, some other person would not just take his place. Like it's a, yeah. it's a great man well, theory where Archer is the key to everything. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know why they had to do that. Cause I think the, the, the fix is, is easy, which is removing Archer then causes a, causes the Suliban to ultimately destroy enterprise. Right. You know what I mean? Cause, cause he's gone. So th- that, t- that, and that that then adds stakes to the situation that you're watching in the present, because if you know that oh Enterprise gets destroyed because Archer disappeared, then you're watching to see shit. When is when is this going to happen or not happen, and how are they going to get out of it? Instead of it turning it into just like a escape from escape the room scenario, because um, that that stuff yeah it was fine, but again you're not really like learning anything new. Um, and even the Suliban, I, I, towards the end of the episode, I was like, man, I, this is like the third time I've seen the Suliban just marching through the hallways with their, uh, faux marble wallpaper guns that they mm-hmm. have. Yeah. And I, I don't know really what they're here to do or why they're here to do it. And even at the end, when the guy's frantically trying to contact the, the, the shadowy ghost guy, He's not even really sure what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like you know, it's it's. I, I don't. I I still don't understand what the Suliban want out of any of this, which is makes it a little bit difficult to care about. Um, it's just it's it's fine. It's I think it's it's fine for what it is, but I think they they could have. I don't know. Could it could have been a little bit uh, a little bit more uh, interesting and, and weightier, I guess. It, it's funny because it. I think that like the the general idea here is that there, we're going to have a big budget um, actiony set piece thing to start this this season off. Apparently, they're 
their budget increase in the second season. Can you, do you know how much each uh, episode costs of Enterprise? Which is, I, I wouldn't say that you would know. How would you know? But what would you guess the cost of an episode? Um, the cost of each episode of Enterprise in the year 2002, I'm going to say uh, hmm, $150,000. <laughs> season one was $3.5 million. Season, per episode? Per episode. Season two, they got bumped up to five million per episode. So I I, I was <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was I was going by uh like early nineties math, I think, because in my head <laughs> my head I was trying to think like I remember it being a big deal when sh- when a when a show ended up costing a million dollars an episode. And in my head, I think I remembered that being Seinfeld. Yeah. And I think that was just all because of the cost of the cast. So I'm like, well, this doesn't look like the most in- highest budget show. So I, I don't know. I guess I was, I was obviously way off. TNG was about a million per episode when it came. Oh, out. okay, yeah. I guess I have no concept of how much things cost. I mean, th- th- these shows just have way more going on than stuff like Seinfeld, uh, and right. things like that, right. in terms of what yeah. they have to do. But yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. It's five million dollars an episode. But I mean, I think you see that here where there's a lot of effects work. There's a lot of like ship battle stuff going on. Uh, but I think that the the point was they wanted this sort of action set piece. And to me, it really feels like they're somewhat resetting what all the stuff that I believe they had no idea was what was going on in the first season, which is the temporal mm-hmm. cold war and what's going on with the mission and and stuff like that. And so to me, it feels a little bit like a reset for everything mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, Archer's key. Here's a little bit of information about the Temple Cold War. And I think tying into your Suliban point, one of the things that they did fairly well is this is the first episode where I felt like the Suliban are actually a legitimate threat, at least in terms of sure. what they can do to people. Um, sure. Before this, they've been kind of clownish. It's still a big weakness that they don't have a point of view outside of needing the shadowy humanoid to tell them what to do. And when the timeline right. changes, they right. no longer know what's supposed to go on. Uh, but I... I thought the Suliban are fairly effective here. It's just a kind of like raw military force or a guerrilla force yeah. or whatever that you want to do. But they, they hadn't been doing that previously, so I thought at least they, they accomplished that here. Yeah, I think they did. They dialed them up a bit, so they do feel like they are um, uh, they are a real threat. Yeah, like the uh, the scene where they're interrogating T'Pol is fairly well done and when the scene when they're interrogating Reed is fairly well done and they uh there is a level of tension that they do achieve with them because they give them a little bit more of an edge yeah. um even if their edge is ultimately you know it's not in service of really anything but no it's and it's very generic thug they're 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 exactly the same as the Andorians were in the Andorian incident when they're just mm-hmm. sort of like beating up people to, to try to get information about it. It's not the it's right. not the most interesting, but coming from the first season where every other episode when Archer is asked about the Suliban, he kind of gazes off into the distance and is like, we're lucky to have survived that encounter with the Suliban. And it never felt like that was appropriate. <laughs> Here, at least, if they had been like this the entire first season, I could see why you'd be like, well, yeah, we don't want to run into these guys because they're kind of obnoxious in this way. Yeah, um, I do... The show does seem to have a little bit of a crutch with their bad guys where it's like, we need them to do bad things. Well, how about we just have them punch a crew member for yeah. a while? Yeah. That seems to be the, the go-to for the bad guys on Enterprise. Yeah, which, I mean, happens to, to Paul and Reed here. I think that the uh, the Reed torture, if you want to call that, is at least a little bit better because it ties into, 
the crew member's plan. It's part of the mm-hmm. crew member's plan is to, for him to get beat up and pretend like he doesn't know or for, uh, give the Suliban the idea that they don't want to activate this thing when that's exactly what they want them to do. And um, to Paul's one... That sweet, uh, that sweet drum machine they got yeah, at Yeah, the, 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 the 80s electronic drum machine. Um, the Suliban also looked like me trying to set up a drum machine when he's fiddling with it. It's like, <laughs> I don't, I can't get anything. You hit the so. button and the light, light blinks and you're going <laughs> to... Well, I I guess that's the click track, I guess. I, I'm this not is, really sure how this works. This is as good as this groove is going to get. Uh, <laughs> the I think for in terms of weaknesses, this episode copies a lot of the Enterprise weaknesses that we've seen so far, which is that they they continue to write episodes where I'm not really sure why a lot of the stuff happens because they Mm. don't want to go into a lot of the stuff that happens. So things are are either extremely easy or something happens to a crew member, which is not really relevant to the plots. And you end up wondering what the point of that was in the first place. Like to Paul's torture here doesn't feel necessary to me in any way. And it's, it, it, I, I'm expecting when I see a scene like DePaul's torture and interrogation scene, and then afterwards when they're done with her, she's like drugged and like unable to like figure out what's going on to the point where I didn't I didn't I didn't know if when Archer's ghost had appeared and was talking to her if she was so drugged and out of it that she didn't know or if she's being a like a logical Vulcan who's not willing to listen to this kind of thing, but DePaul's torture doesn't feel like it it builds to anything. It doesn't feel like that's a kind of like plot point that they're going to do something with T'Pol and because of all that mm-hmm. she went through, this is, ends up in the resolution of the episode. So it just feels strange. On the other hand, Reed's feels a little bit more throwaway, but at the same time, it feels like that moves the plot forward, interestingly, because they need them to do this, and so Reed has to get beat up. Yeah, the T'Pol scene seemed only to be in service of her denial of time travel, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once she comes back, obviously she's still in a, in a post torture haze, which is when Archer shows up and she just keeps repeating the the things that she was saying in the torture about not believing in time travel. And then it it ends with her saying, I still don't believe in time travel. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't really know. It's kind of at this point, how much more evidence do you really need? I guess, (laughs) but It's like how it's like how in the X Files, Mulder always sees the crazy shit, but Scully always comes in like a half a second after it stops. Right. So there's always this uh, element of, at least for the first few seasons, there's always this element of uh, plausible deniability that Scully just didn't see it happen. Yep. 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 So you, when when floating future head Archer shows up, there is still a bit of plausible deniability that oh she's all messed up from the torture so it's reasonable for her to not believe exactly what she thinks she saw yeah but that still doesn't explain how they got these where the messages came from and how they knew about the uh magic future drum machine and etc etc in daniels's room you mean yeah well daniels must have told archer about it right no i mean like from her point of view if she doesn't believe in time travel but they're also playing out this plan that came from a future recording of yeah. Archer. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's it's it, t- it's tough for her to to keep saying I don't believe in time travel when you just executed a plan that involved things from the future. Yes. I I'm I, I think it's really only surprising to me that her end scene there's no 
subtext to her saying she doesn't believe really like to me at the at the very end scene it still feels that she does not really believe in time travel even though i could see that scene being written where she says she doesn't but there's some kind of subtext that implies that right. she's open to that but i don't that doesn't come across to me at the end no. of this the way the way that they shoot it doesn't lend itself for that like i think i feel like that was the intention of that scene but the way that they do it is so uh, it it's there's no focus it's it's not like a close up on her or anything or you know it's it just feels like a throwaway line yeah and the the way it's shot doesn't doesn't draw out any any of that subtext it's a um the the end scene is is strange to me the the end scene is really weird in a lot of in a lot of ways like Archer has this this line about. Well, first of all, why does he go in his pajamas? I guess it's strange. And he's like, hey, crewman, nosy pants over there saw me coming into your room at one o'clock in the morning. And to like, what's she going to think? And Paul says nothing. Then he. I know. To Paul's like, she's never had a problem with any of the other. <laughs> night. Then Archer kneels by her bed. And Amy was watching it with me. Archer says, what does he say? You, you, put, you put it, it over, over the, the top. top. And yeah. Amy says, is that supposed to be. Uh, like confusing as to what his like i we were just sitting there going archer could you have picked a more ambiguous phrase about whether or not right. something went through then you put it over the top and then like to paul's even like what and he's like you put it over the, you put it over the top and there's no i don't know why he says that because it's not calling back to anything it's not a previous conversation right. that they had it's just a weird turn of phrase that he can't just say we're still on the mission because of you thanks you know, like yeah. why, why, it's why do like, they have that? It's like if somebody made you dinner and you called them up to thank them and you're like, I just finished it. Thank you for making me that dinner. And they go, did you like it? And you go, I just finished it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Did you, I don't, did you like it? I just finished it. I just finished it. <laughs> and so she's in that awkward position where clearly he heard her, but she can't ask him again because it just will be an awkward uh, conversation. Right. And then he leaves at that point. It's just a, the, the scene felt like the, the intention of that was to show some kind of bond that's been built between Archer and T'Pol, but between his ambiguous phrasing and the brevity of it, I don't think anything comes across out of it except for T'Pol's strange denial of time travel continues. My, so my theory about it is that, and it's a clunky way to do it, um, it's supposed to emphasize the fact that T'Pol is the one who made sure that everything keeps moving forward. And so by saying, you put it over the top, and she says, like, oh, good news, and he's like, you put it over the top, it's emphasizing that she's the one who stuck her neck out. Yep. Um, and maybe that's supposed to resonate with her moving forward as far as like where she stands with everybody and all that kind of stuff yeah but it is a it is a kind of oblique way to do that which i don't know it's it is a weird scene yeah it's it's another story it's another angle that like out of the context of the first season it feels really detached from anything like it's it's not like you've had a long time to forget about what's happening but i don't even think in the first season there is an emphasis on T'Pol becoming one of the crew, but this episode isn't doesn't really reference that. So it feels it feels like a serialized storyline that T'Pol has finally ingratiated herself into the crew, and Archer's recognizing that as like you're a vital cog to what's going on here. But because mm-hmm. the the double header episode doesn't really have anything to do with that, it just feels like an extremely odd scene to end on and to 
like you, you watch it going, are they implying sexual tension? He's in her bedroom. They're both in their mm-hmm. pajamas. He's he came to tell. I guess Soval called him that night or whatever. But and it's another. It's, yeah, he it, says he says he he woke him up in the middle of the night. Yeah, and Soval like it's it's also just strange in that this this Archer revealing the information that the mission has been allowed to go on happens off camera, and he just relays that information to to Paul. He gets a call that's like the actual dramatic sequence of that which is that like our, jonathan like the vulcans have decided to let you go out there and he just mm-hmm. relays it to her it's, it was just really a weird ending to it well that, that's that's another reason why i think it's supposed to be uh emblematic of of where to stands because that's clearly you you do that scene if you if you want to paul's uh reaction to the news to be the point of the scene not so much the news right you know what i mean yeah yep um but yeah i think they fumble it a bit at the end because i think you've got that weird having it in this this weird moment where it's the middle of the night and they're both in their pajamas and the comment about the crewman being discreet about men going into her room yeah and then the the weird phrasing of you put it over the top and the time trip. There's a lot going on <laughs> yeah, in this scene, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of hard to parse out what what the point of it is supposed to be. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think they just, I just, I just think they fumble it at the end there. But so, did you like? Also, me? apparently, there's like, <laughs> but women's shirts in the in the twenty third century or something. Just they don't have any bottoms to them. They're all crop tops i yes. guess all, 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 all crop tops yeah and also the other <laughs> thing we learn is that apparently hoshi has the body of a small child i guess yeah well that which was... allows allows her to wiggle through the uh <laughs> the the jeffrey's tube type thing there. <laughs> it's um people say that the the pregnancy and unexpected in the first season is quote-unquote problematic but i think they're 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 like they're like we need we need a we need a small child. They're like, how about an Asian? Let's get. Where's, where's, an, where's an Asian? Is there an Asian we can get around here to crawl through the ducks? I. What's weird about that scene, the, the Hoshi scene? Not weird, but I, I really, I really thought that they were onto something with what they could have done. Uh, the way that it was done, I actually got a little bit. Um, uh, like I felt the tense, the tension of her crawling through these things, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised they actually didn't emphasize her struggle to crawl through this place because I, I'm a, I, it might just be me, but like, there's nothing to me more terrifying than those videos of people who are doing like undersea cave diving and they're crawling oh, through God. these like tiny yeah. things, and it's just like if this if this rock shifts a half a centimeter, I'm going to be stuck here. Mm. I, I felt that that was a really they just made up Hoshi's claustrophobia at this point. But I felt that like, even though it wasn't shot particularly well, I thought that could have been a really effective sequence that I've never seen in Star Trek before, which is before the Jeffrey's tube is kind of invented in these old NX-01 ships. The crawl spaces are just a hellscape that you do not want to be in if you hate any kind of enclosed place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they they, they set it up as as being a lot worse than it ultimately actually actually was yeah. because the way that they're talking about it, it's like well those are basically sealed off there's no way you can go through there unless you're a normal sized woman i guess right um and so but yeah i think i think uh and then ultimately you know what you actually see her doing is moving around not 
entirely uh, impeded. Yeah, like it's. It's I like think there was a opportunity. It's like crawling through, like the, it wouldn't be pleasant to be in a coffin, but you're not like jammed mm-hmm. in on all sides. And you know they right. have to do the thing where the, apparently this crawl space is well lit for no reason. You know, it's right. just like yeah. you can see everything. But if it was just her with like a flashlight crawling through this space, I thought that could have actually been a really effective sequence because they spend a lot yeah, of time. Totally. They spend a lot of time on it, and yeah, I was expecting Flox to give her a hypo spray for. Uh, stress or something you know when she oh, shows sure, up there sure. but that doesn't really like it it, it could have just been a neat little sequence but i don't think that they really did anything with it and then of course they end it with the joke of her shirt gets caught on a hook and it flies off and she has to hold her breasts in her hand as reed stands there completely unfazed by it as he's hilarious wants to do hilarious <laughs> it, was the, it was the it's definitely the most um i don't know what you would call that I wouldn't call that. I guess it's nudity. It's it's definitely the most frontal mm. nudity that you've ever seen in a Star Trek episode. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it's it's definitely it seems like the most uh, body joke I've seen on the Star Trek in a while. Yeah, and it's not even like a good one. It's just her shirt, <laughs> and then her then the, her clothes fall off, and I've you've seen <laughs> you've everything. seen everything. Um, I that I don't I don't really know. So I guess let's talk about the. The, the do you have anything to say about the action sequence of taking back the enterprise um no i th- uh the <laughs> i i was a little confused at the fake reactor explosion that they managed to do yeah yeah that was a little bit strange where uh, apparently they just have the function to spray sparks and fire out of things when they need to yeah um, and make it look like the engine is overheating because the Suliban yeah. do their sensors thing and they're like the, the warp core is about to breach. Yeah, I would I would have liked that if um, there had been a little bit more, uh, I guess if, if we had known what they were doing and added some stakes to it, like a crossing the streams type situation where it's like, this is what we can do. But in order to do that, we are getting very close. It, it's not like it's just like a fireworks display we set off. We do actually have to stress the engine yeah. to do this. Yeah. So if we don't, if we do it too long or too hard, or they don't back off quickly enough, where we either got to shut it down or the ship's going to blow up or some, something like that. I instead of instead of they just do it and then there's a hard cut to trip going like, well, it's a good thing we faked that reactor explosion. Yeah. And Paul says it got a little too hot. The engine is scorched on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm surprised they didn't just blow up the ship. Because they have time travel to fix everything. They, if the Enterprise had blown up in that sequence, <laughs> you, don't wanna, you don't want to open that can of worms, man. <laughs> it will. That's the. So the, I think that, like, I to before we move into the time travel stuff, like I, I think that taking back the Enterprise generally works. It has yeah. the same weakness of a lot of Enterprise scripts, which is that they just do things and then they explain to you afterwards what they've done during that sequence. So you as an audience member aren't watching this going like, oh, I know exactly what needs to be done. You know that they're plotting something, but the unveiling of their plan is very, um, you don't know what is going on until it's all over. So Reed getting beat up, for instance, is like, oh, he had to go in there and get beat up and then pretend he doesn't know what this thing is and pretend that these guys can't get it. That's the trouble with that kind of storytelling is because then you're thinking, well, was Reed getting captured in the shit, getting the shit kicked out of him part of the plan? Right. Because if that wasn't the plan, I guess the plan was to use that thing he gets to contact Archer. Yeah. Okay. So that so then that 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 element is not part of the plan. Him getting beat up. He just no. That is part of the fit. plan. That's what they. Oh, that is. That's part what of the they. Plan. That's my assumption. Of what they want to. Do. So what I assume is that. 
him they get ca- they know that getting this thing reed is likely to get captured reed gets mm-hmm. captured and they're like you have to pretend that you don't want the suliban to have this thing so the archer needs to activate that portal which he needs the shadow guys systems to do right so he has to get the suliban to bring that thing to the shadow guys room so that archer can come back and yeah the, and see that, that's that's too uh that's too dark nighty for me i I just i think the main problem with it is that it undercuts reed's heroic act if you don't know what he's doing in that situation right like it to me it's just better to know that reed has to get captured and they are beating the shit out of him and he is like i have to accomplish this i just have to i have to take this beating and pretend i don't know what's going on with it and then when he gets the thing it all makes sense but in the in the Without that knowledge, you're just watching him get beat up, and you don't know whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing that they've captured right. him at this point. Yeah, that's why I don't like that kind of storytelling is because ultimately when you do put the pieces together of what actually needed to happen, it just gets like implausible and incredibly convoluted. Yeah. Like this. So they were, they were banking on sneaking around to get into Daniels' quarters so Reed could get this thing and then get captured and then get tortured into giving it telling up. the Suliban that they, you know, like yeah. uh, tricking them into using this thing. Like I could, I mean, I could believe it being like, Oh, that wasn't part of the plan. He just thought on his feet or whatever. But yeah. uh, if that was actually part of the plan, like even, and I think when she's, when Hoshi's going climbing through the, the duct thing, we don't know what she's going to get until they use it. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's another instance where it's like, I don't know. Like I, I feel like you're you're cheating a little bit as far as getting people to care about this stuff well, by purposely being uh, opaque about why they're doing it. It's just so. It's an it's an example of. I think we talked about this in the first season. If you don't add whatever, if you want to call that a mystery, I wouldn't really call it a mystery. But if you if you don't add that bit where the audience has no idea why these people are doing mm-hmm. this thing. It's there's really nothing else to that except plot beats where they accomplish right. these steps. There's nothing right. else underpinning any of that story. So it's well, I I think it's I, they do it in lieu of of any kinds of stakes really. Well, right, I mean, that, and that's why got, Hoshi's that's why I like Hoshi's yeah. duct work. If the duct work thing right. was played up, you'd be like, oh, these Beautiful guys are going through work. hard. She's, she's <laughs> her, her HVAC is fantastic. <laughs> if 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 they play that up. At least they get a sense of like characters are confronting worst fear, you know, to accomplish right. this. Hoshi doesn't want to be in there, but she knows she's got to do it. But they don't yeah. have that. So it's instead Hoshi basically might as well just walk into that room, give the thing to the Suliban, and the Suliban go and turn it on. You know, there's, there's nothing right. else there character wise. Yeah. Or, you know, e- even something as simple as like you have to climb through this thing without freaking out. Also, you have to, you're going to be crawling over. 35 Suliban who are waiting to shoot you you know what I mean yeah. it's just like there, there's no there's no stakes other than Hoshi getting from point A to point B and so in order to create any sort of interest in that scene you have to not tell people what's going on so then you're watching going like shit I wonder what's going on right or I wonder what or you know it's I, it's it's really it's really interesting that they that they choose to do that stuff because like what hap- is is what they do ultimately more interesting more or less interesting than if she went to get this that you knew what she was doing you knew she was going to flocks to get this thing and then halfway through she has a freak out or something yeah you know and then then it becomes oh shit 
there's they got what they needed to get, but now there's a wrinkle in their plan because Hoshi's having a freak out in the Jeffrey's tube or whatever. Yeah. Like so it's it's just interesting that they it's when you're doing this point A to point B to point C storytelling, this and you're and you're not going to throw any wrinkles into the plan. Yep. That's when you end up doing this, like, oh, it was all this on the back end kind yes. of stuff. And it's, yeah. I, I feel like it's sometimes it works. Like, I think that kind of thing works in the Dark Knight. I don't think it works in Skyfall, where they they do almost literally the same thing they do in the Dark Knight with the Joker. Yeah, except it's it's a lot more, it's a lot less believable. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really, uh, I don't really think it's good for, especially for. For this kind of Star Trekky thing, I, I just yeah. think you, you and they do it. It's just that they do it. This is like the third time they've done it in like four episodes, yeah. Yeah. so it feels like it's becoming a crutch. It, 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 it to me, it just feels like a solution to something after you've written the script and you realize that there's no conflict within it. Right. You know, it, it doesn't right. feel like it's an intentional thing from the start. It's just like, well, they have to do this. But it's really boring if they know what they're doing the whole time. They say, "Well, don't don't tell them what they're doing the whole time. Just just let it go through." Right. That that's the and like I I don't think it's an entirely invalid way of doing things. I think if you are handling it well, it's it's fine. Yeah. It's just that I think when you're using it as a an ex, a, a way to cover up the flaws in your story, that's when it becomes. A problem yeah and as you say retroactively when you look back on it you go that was a lot of coincidences there where every, every time it looked like something went wrong it actually was going according to plan which is yeah. very interesting because because yeah like if the point was to get the Suleban to use that thing it's like okay so the plan here is hoshi needs to go through the duct work to get this hypo spray to knock out two Suleban guys so we can get read into the room to get the drum machine so then he can get captured convince the Suleban that they need the drum machine so they'll bring their drum machine into the noob sabot's room yep. fire that up and then archer can drop kick the guy across the the, the screen <laughs> all while all this is happening the enterprise has to fake a reactor explosion so they can get free from the helix thing and hopefully get the ships and then uh fly off as far as they can hoping that archer gets back in time to take Silic hostage and have him call off all of the other ships convinces, that are flying on convinces the Enterprise. all the other ships. Apparently, Silic yeah. is that important where the other ships should just like, no, we'll just shoot you too, Archer, and call this a day. Yeah, yeah. And then Archer will steal a ship, take Silic as a hostage, and meet us back. And then that's it's easy. It's like it couldn't be simpler. He also, you know, it's to allow for continued Silic adventures. Let Silic fucking go. <laughs> he just right. <laughs> It's <laughs> just like jettison into space. It's a less. It's the same thing they did with the Ferengi in Acquisition, where they're like, "Well, we can't capture these guys, so we'll just have to let them go." Except they do right. it a little bit better, where they don't actively show Archer letting them go. But there's no Silic at that. that he's gone at the end of the episode. So right, I, I right. don't know. Yeah, it's it's a really. I guess I guess Starfleet has no protocols on what to do with criminals at this point. There's no yeah, like well, yeah. maybe we should take them prisoner and do something with them. Well, I mean they they don't fix that protocol in the 25th century as we learned from Star Trek Picard when Riker shows up with the entire fleet and right. he's like you guys should leave now <laughs> and then they just disappear and nothing ever happens. Hello person who's had access to all of our uh, deepest darkest yeah. secrets in Starfleet, but you can go now. <laughs> Hello treasonous espionage agent who <laughs> almost brought down the entire friggin' federation. Just uh just don't do it again, okay? We changed our passwords. We can let her go. 
<laughs> they can't get in here anymore. We add we added exclamation points to, to the all end. of our passwords. <laughs> They're not can't get into this one. So let's talk about. I have the same. The, the action sequence is fine. I think while you're mm-hmm. watching it, it's fine. In retrospect, the action sequence is a lot of like bad action sequences, which is that when you, after you're, it's all said and over, done, and you think about it, you're like, I, I, I guess that's fine, but it didn't really make a lot of sense. The temporal Cold War, some, the positives here I've already talked about. I think that they flesh it out enough where I'm not completely pissed off at how much, how little I know about the temporal Cold War at this point. They had mm-hmm. to do something, and they've revealed a few things about it. Um, I think the biggest problem with the temporal cold wars at this point is Daniels. Daniels to me yeah. makes no sense in what he's supposed to be. So as they don't, they don't tell you what he's supposed to be. There's no real, again, like I, I feel like they, they introduced him as a section 31 type thing, but then they abandoned that. Left it at, uh, abandoned it at that. Like they, uh, established the secrecy and then when they actually decided to use him again it's like oh what does this guy actually do well here's the problem in shockwave part one you made the joke that he is too low-key in terms of seeing that his future has been destroyed when they show up at the mm-hmm. end he's just like oh look at that like that's all gone what a what a pity this one they do the opposite he's much more stressed out by what's going on mm-hmm. at this point i i don't think the stressed out personality makes any sense if this is a time cop he fundamentally understands that none of this is like permanent he can change everything right. that's happening and right. he also is like well what are we going to do without a time portal he he knows how to fix it with like no tools whatsoever and he's like right. yeah they teach everybody in this about but so the conflict here is that time travel is extremely dangerous to the point where they've built this cold war artifice around it where there are agents who go out to prevent time travel at the mm-hmm. same time, they're teaching high schoolers how to time travel to go back in time and do things, and it's apparently super easy. You can just do this with like a rock and a bit of copper and Archie's yeah. communicator from 800 years ago, and you can travel back in time. Makes no sense to me. I just, I really don't like the way Daniels is played because he should be Archer's or Daniels's primary focus should be, I cannot tell Archer anything, and I'm a cool character through all of this because I know we can reset the timeline to go back and do things. Uh, that we can No future that we're living in and no present is set. I can fix things like this. Yeah. Archer, or, here I it mean, is. I think his, his freakout is warranted if the time machines all being destroyed is an actual problem. Sure. But it's clearly not. Right. Um, like if, if the way that they... <laughs> I think it would have worked better if they hadn't undercut all of that by him saying, yeah, they taught us how to do this in high school. Mm -hmm. Like it was, you know, algebra or something that kind of takes a little of the tension away. Then it's like, Oh, I don't know if Arch is going to be able to bang that copper wire down to the right thickness in order. You know, it's like, that's, or it's just uh, art, art, like, we don't know what happens to Daniels at the end of this, right? If he builds this right. thing and he's like, only one of us can travel through time after this thing has only got enough juice to get one of us back. And he's like, Archer, you have to go back because you seem to be vital to this, but this potentially could erase me. You know, if like if this was a death, a true, they're not going to kill him because they've already killed him and then not explained why he's not dead at all. So right. if you, if, if they actually stuck to their guns and was like, Daniel sacrifices himself at this point to send Archer back in time, that feels okay to me at that point. Like that's a, I'm willing yeah. to accept no, that, that he would send him back. 
Sorry, you breaking up on me there. Oh, you you broke up a little bit there. So I was just saying that um, Daniel's sacrifice there is the best way to save that. I think. Yeah, and I, I that's that's one of the things that I think there's a problem that they don't spend enough time in the future because you don't have any stakes. There's no time constraint at the in the future. Like it's not like they are. Uh, under the gun of someone finding them or something, you know, like the, in the 3000 years in the future, a thousand years in the future, the Suleban rule everything. So you've got like the hunter killers trying to find them while they're trying to build this time machine. You don't have that. It's not like a Terminator scenario where they have only one chance to send somebody back. They could have been sitting there for six months building a time machine. Yeah. And, and you don't really know. Um, and I also I also thought it was funny when Arch is like, "Why don't you just send me back like two days before so we don't none of this ever happens?" And he's like, ah, "I'm not going to mess with the timeline again." <laughs> it's like, "Well, you're already you're already there, man. You may as well." That was um, it's funny. That was horrible. I thought the, like I I was genuinely expecting some sort of uh, philosophical answer as to why they have to go back to the main right. time, but it's just yeah. this is the only way the plot makes sense. Uh, yeah, so you have to go Daniel's- back. It's just because Daniels doesn't want to doesn't want to screw it up even further. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, you feel like you've done about as poor a job as you could do at this point. D- Daniels, it's funny. We yeah. uh, we watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure last night, and it's been a long time since I've watched that. And uh, there's one interesting idea that they throw out in there that I don't know if it completely makes sense, but it makes sense enough for the movie, which is that the present is continually moving forward. So they keep Rufus tells Ted that the time on his watch, which is the time of his present, always stays the same. So which which then puts a ticking clock on a time machine story, which in and of itself shouldn't have one because you got a time machine. Mm-hmm. But you they can only like if it's eight o'clock when they leave, four hours from now on his watch, it is it is going to be four hours from then in San Dimas when it's, it's this weird sort of like little tiny bit. That's a look that's kind of interesting, yep. but I'm surprised that they, they could, they, they didn't do something like that where it's like, well, we can't send you back because your time is always moving forward. There's some bullshit like that. Yeah. It's just like, no, I just don't want to take a chance of screwing it up <laughs> even further. <laughs> it would be a lot safer, but this is going to look, this will look bad for me at that point. I'm already looking at at least one citation from my, my, uh, uh, commanding officer when this is all said and done i'm not gonna i'm not going for any more they they haven't done a good they haven't done a good job of playing daniels as someone who is loath to interfere with the timeline he says he is but he he interferes with the timeline constantly about like every decision he's making is some sort of interference with the timeline um and i think it's just i think that's just a problem he's not he's he's a combination of not being mysterious enough not withholding enough and not knowledgeable enough of what's possible in his universe, you know, it's it's just this mm-hmm. weird mix. And so he he comes out he as this kind of a pussy character who's like, yeah. Daniels, are you going to do something to like make this this work out? He doesn't seem like he's a very knowledgeable time cop, right? He seems like like if they had a scene where uh, they were walking through the library and Archer finds out that Daniels actually didn't make it through basic training or something where he's like, you know, I wanted to be a time cop my whole life, but I just didn't have what it takes. So I just wanted to do something for the Federation. And now we're in this bind because I guess that's what happens when you teach high schoolers how to make time machines. Yes. Um, 
you know, or like he doesn't seem, and I think that's, I don't think that's his fault. I think that's the a fault of the writers for not establishing what any of this means. Right. So it's difficult to give him any sort of relatable idea of what being a time cop or an agent of a, a temporal agent in the Cold War means. Yeah. Because they obviously don't even know. So. Yeah. 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 It's just, I mean, I just. Can- also, sorry. I feel like temporal temporal time temporal cold war time cop that's a that's a section 31 thing like just yeah. just do it just make him a section 31 guy well i mean i just i compare him to sloan from ds9 and yeah, exactly I, I think that sloan is not a time who also cop. is the the plays bill death in the sequel yeah. of bill and ted yeah he's sloan isn't a, a time cop but what he does is that every time you see sloan the the performance and the writing gives you the understanding that he is sort of playing a game or mm-hmm. he knows more than he's letting on you're never really sure where he, where to where you can like put him in terms of his understanding exactly. on things yeah. and that's through a, that's a good example of just withholding the information that i think daniel mm-hmm. should be able to do but sloan yep. comes across as confident in a way that daniel's comes across as like as you're saying he never finished the job and has no idea what is supposed to be happening and if you wanted to go that direction, I'd totally be fine with Daniels as the last time cop and he's the worst one at his job and he's the one that got sent back to do this. At sure. least that would that would give me an understanding of where this character is supposed to be. I would prefer him to be like Sloan. And because I I think that these guys are dicking around with timelines enough, they need to have that kind of confidence in what they're right. experiencing. And he doesn't give me that. Yeah, the whole point of having someone from the future involved in a temporal Cold War going back in time and and messing with stuff is to gently nudge the timeline so their whole standpoint should be i know what's going to happen in the future you don't know anything so anything that i'm telling you is i'm doing entirely in service for me yeah and for my end not necessarily because i'm a good guy because i believe in your mission or whatever you know what i mean so it's like they should have that air of mystery. So you get into situations where Daniel says, you know what, maybe you should think about doing this. And that ends up getting like a crewman killed or something. Yeah. And then Arch is like, well, you told me to get him killed. And it's like, well, you know, yeah, can't make an omelet without breaking some future eggs, I guess. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of element where Daniel's though a ally, ultimately there should be some uh, antagonism there. I think. Yeah. He's a and you should be un, unsure of whether or not you can trust him. Right. Yeah. It, it's he's um he's not really the same, but he's, he's Garrick esque in that his his what he's saying mm. is sort of self serving to him, but there is a kernel of truth that's behind a lot of what he's saying. So it's it's you can never tell when he's lying and when he's not. Garrick, I suppose, is the always lying characteristic, but there, yeah. there's a sense that Garrick's lie persona is a truthful persona to him like it's he's not Mm -hmm. acting out of character or anything like that and daniel's i think a benefit and i i think the other thing too is like if you think about what that character should be this temporal time agent you need someone who believes ultimately more than anything that the time period that they come from is the time period that should exist and cannot be altered. Yeah. So they have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the time period they come from is going to happen the way it happens. Yeah. Which is a 
excuse me, which is a a fairly intense. You're going to need an intense person for that. Yeah, that's a that's an intense level of of dedication to I, to the mission. So it it's yeah. I think that ties into the Federation thing. If they if they coincide that, which is that like galactic peace or whatever was attained through the Federation eventually winning out, which is a which is a pretty Star Trekky idea. That like these values are just mm-hmm. going to be like, sewn across the universe, and everyone will adopt these Federation values. And it'll lead to good times. It's very much of like the exporting like U.S. foreign policy idea of just like give them mm-hmm. a, a better way of life and apparently they'll adopt it. Um, Six packs for everyone. And, and, and American flags. So if they if they if that's the future and you know what he's fighting for, you understand why Daniels cares about that future and why that's right. like the one that he wants to. It's not just that he is familiar with it and he doesn't want to have to read books because computers apparently haven't been invented in this alternate timeline. <laughs> It, it's more that he sees the greater good being serviced by that's the timeline that things worked out for everybody. And this other timeline is horrible and we don't want to actually go to that right. timeline. Yeah, exactly. And there, and his his devotion to that mission should be pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he just comes off as like he's the last he's the last guy in the in the room that they told to shut the lights out it's, or something it's, it's v- very similar to sloan again sloan ultimately believes in the federation so much that he's willing to subvert it to protect exactly to protect it in yeah. the, the greater good and maybe i mean i don't know maybe that maybe that's the problem is is the character that we're describing is too much like sloan he just has to be section so, 31 it's the same it's the same if it's if it's if it's future section 31 it totally makes mm-hmm. sense to me that that's what they have yeah. to do yeah yeah well, I, I just I, I'm I'm wondering if this character we're describing is essentially just Sloan, but he's a time cop, and <laughs> maybe they don't. Maybe they wanted to try do something different and different. not just drop a section thirty a, a shadowy section thirty one guy in there. But oh, it would have been better than this. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would have taken that over this any day. Yes, I if if this character was replaced with time cop or, Sloan, it would be perfect. I think. Or at the very least, get someone with some charisma to play yeah. this guy. Yeah, I know he's not. He's this guy's a wet blanket. <laughs> Look, Mark Zuckerberg looking. Let's take a break. We'll play a clip from the episode, and then we'll come back, give our final thoughts, and read some patron thoughts about Shockwave Part Two. I think you put it over the top. Boris said none of the others could believe it when you went to bat for us. Not to mention that little listening post lecture you gave to Sabal. You spoke to the admiral. He woke me up in the middle of the night. Can you believe that? I assume with good news. I think you put it over the top. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Hope you enjoyed the content today. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's patreon.com slash the Penske file. You get extra stuff. We just talked about paprika. And what was the other thing we just talked about this month? THX 1138. Uh, THX. One one three eight. Yeah, so there's all these sci-fi the movies. Future that we've been of home audio sound. Wow. Uh, and I did a commentary video for a matter of time, so you can download that and listen to my sort of uh, commentary over top of the episode. And then, as always, the captions here. You should make it really confusing and say, "I did a commentary video, and it's only available for a matter of time." A matter. So uh, wait. So <laughs> is it? Is it? Are you taking it down, or is that the only one is that episode? It's limited. Limited availability. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special shout-out. Special thank you goes to Christian Pouch, Tarek Latif, Chris Tinsley, Mike Burnett, Cardinal Doomsday, Joint Mango, Ben Douglas, Neil Brennan, Kyle Barrett, Sam McCuster, Matt Ross, Nathan Elliott, Eric Johnson, Aaron Jake Sherlock, 
San, uh, Graham Santo, Matt Cutler, Dwayne Hackett, Sean, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Vault 13 Hero, Stefan Minton, David Beardmore, Darth Moss, HH28, Matt Courier 6, Jacob123, Matt Houston, Nick Sergi, Jakey's Gamer, Patrick Seba, Captain Brazen, Kevin Lowry, Eric Santuan, Bradley Killens, Corey Martin, Woodrow, Rune Vendler, William Scheisler, and Timothy Cooley. Thank you very much, especially the, uh, the last three are sort of new to this. So thank you to Rune, William, and Timothy. And as always, I guess I should thank the people who have been there the longest more than that, but I just, I, I, it's difficult to, who gets the praise? I feel like teacher of a class yeah. here where everyone's getting a gold star. You got to praise the new guys so the older guys feel like yeah, they got <laughs> some work to do. Um, we'll read patient thoughts now. And I mean, anybody who, I'm just saying, anybody who boosts their monthly donation, I mean, we'll so, probably talk about them more. More, yes. I'll learn your name. Because that, I mean... Yeah, that's a that's a that's a, a different way of being a new patron, right? It is. Thank you very much, guys. Very generous of you to support the show. Um, now we go to patron thoughts. That being said, that being said, some of you could do better. Now we go to patron thoughts, which are uh, everyone can, or at least some of the patrons can leave their thoughts about upcoming episodes. We limit it to five sentences now, so we'll try to get through this a little bit more quickly. Shockwave Part One is right here. Matt Ross says, so once you get past the mustache twirling of the Suliban and their weird logic for not destroying the Enterprise, it's okay. The best part to me is Archer stuff in the past rummaging around a destroyed Earth with a quick reference to the Romulan War in a book. To Paul tortured and Hoshi with no shirt seemed to sell more to sell sex than anything else. So Hoshi doesn't like exploring, has agoraphobia and no confidence and gets easily flustered. Glad to have you on board. Kind of a letdown in the Temple War still makes no sense and has the barest of connection to anything but finish the story and the humans tell the Vulcans to get over themselves. Alex Martin says, I remember anxiously waiting for this resolution back in the day and being broadly satisfied with it at the time. That being said, rewatching it now, I find it pretty bland after the cliffhanger episode. Enterprise escaping the Suluban is a little dull and Hoshi topless scene overly gratuitous. The Archer and Daniel scenes were the highlight through the method of his return, although the method of his return is a bit hard to swallow. I'm also not clear when the Earth was supposed to have been destroyed as there were references to the Romulan Star Empire in their library, so clearly this is meant to be after the Earth-Romulan War at a minimum. Three spare shirts for Hoshi out of five. I can, I can imagine them sitting around being like, "Oh, we gotta get the shirt off of one of these chicks. What, what should we do with Tapal? No, we got equal opportunity. We make the other girl take her shirt off too. <laughs> then it's everybody takes their shirts off. You know, then we look like we're, you know, uh, uh, progressive. Yeah. This is, <laughs> listen, ladies, this is not a chest size thing. We're happy to see anybody's tits. Yeah. So <laughs> anybody wants to take their shirts off, we're happy to do it. We'll roll camera on that. Anytime. <laughs> there's, there's apparently one guy in the writer's room who's just a, a creep from New Jersey. <laughs> they should. I bet the, uh, the the outtakes blooper scene is that like after the Hoshi, the extended after they cut it is just like a, a, a bunch of beads get thrown at her from like off yeah. screen or something. It's just didn't work out in the final cut. Latte Librarian says, I hate time travel plots because I never feel like I really get a good handle on what's happening. I did like the library full of physical books since it's a more stable format for storing information than digital storage, at least currently. I wonder if they were printed on archival paper. Paul's speech was good, but honestly, the Vulcans had a strong case to recall the ship, and they didn't even mention the poor judgment shown when they let that slug on the alien planet to potentially become an invasive species. Three gratuitous shirtless scenes out of five. Um, I did also like that the library just looked like they were in like a high school library. Yeah, it wasn't nope. even it wasn't even like a special library. It was like it's still all the books with that like plastic covering that they yeah. put on the books in the library. It was a Game of Thrones mixed with just like the Smithsonian mixed together, just mm-hmm. thrown in there. 
PointXG says, so what really happens here? It's a family paint-by-numbers plot to take back the Enterprise. Archer and Daniels just MacGyver time travel. And absolutely no more information is given about what the hell this whole temporal Cold War is. In general, I found the second half of Trek cliffhangers to be disappointing, and this is no exception. Woodrow says, previously on Enterprise, getting back is hopeless. The time portals are gone. Never mind, all Daniel needs is copper and a pile of dust to make it math in to do the math in, and you're, you're in a library, find a fucking pencil. Archer captures the Suleban bin Laden, who tar- tortured T'Pol and blew up a planet and then lets him go. I guess the flying temporal donkey kick showed Siliku's boss. Finally, to save the Enterprise's mission, Trip tries yelling at the Vulcans. Archer gives an exhortation on bovine birth, and T'Pol uses logic, which amazingly works on Vulcans. At least they wrote the Vulcans right. Three out of five. Uh, I actually didn't even consider that i forgot about the blowing up the planet thing yeah they really shouldn't have let him go <laughs> no well I, I guess it's not his fault they they undid they undid that thing um no no uh, i mean i'm talking about silic uh they they, they put oh, that thing on the ship to yes. kill all those yeah, people at yeah. the beginning yeah they probably should arrested him for war crimes right it's it's not just um hijacking the enterprise which is bad enough you would think to be right. put on on trial or something it's actually killing 4,000 people. Uh, Woodrow's given me the end that I was looking for. We haven't talked about the Vulcans. Soval's performance as a Vulcan is terrible. Terrible, (laughs) terrible, terrible. And he's so important that it undoes everything that they're trying to do with them. Um, He gets too mad. When when he's talking Mm -hmm. to the humans, he gets too mad. And it's clearly a sort of like he's biased against Archer and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And... It doesn't work, really. Like, especially if none of the other characters are going to call him out and be like, why are you acting this way? This is not how Vulcans are supposed to act. It just comes across as a terrible performance because I don't think he's written that way. And they have that scene where they brought in that other captain guy who got really fired up and started yelling at them. The whole Mm -hmm. point of that character is that it's supposed to show humans versus Vulcans, where the humans are getting upset and yelling at the Vulcans about what's going on, and the Vulcans should just stand there, take it, and respond coldly to everything that gets thrown at them and then walk out and fluster the humans, you know? that that's Which is ultimately what T'Pol does. Which is what T'Pol does, really? yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, I, I hate that performance from that guy. I think it's mm. terrible. He's always emotional as Soval. Yeah, he does. It is kind of like he's playing it like... Uh, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh's captain after yeah. <laughs> uh, after a, a mission in Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's a good point. I, I it, it does bother me, especially if if it's not going to be called out in the script. It's just a, it's a bad decision. Kyle Barrett says a perfectly perfunctory and fairly uninteresting conclusion that offers little new. It turns out it is all about Archer, but at least he has some humility, humility about it rather than a messiah complex. And in a future where temporal agents are desperately trying to stop people meddling in the past, why are they teaching time travel in high school? The ending is pretty good, although Archer launching into a bizarre speech about a gazelle giving birth without a segue makes it seem like his trip to the future has given him space dementia. And of course, <laughs> Malcolm volunteers to get beaten up. He's into that kind of thing. Two and a half out of five. It's like it's like if if they just got chewed out and then Archer was like, you know, this one time I went to a wedding in Jamaica and it was all inclusive <laughs> and I saw a woman order fish sticks and then just leave them there when there was no tartar sauce to be found anywhere. And what I'm saying is sometimes you have to blow up a planet when you're trying to fly for the first time through space. <laughs> there was a tremendous amount of blood. During this press, yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Seen things that you know, Admiral. Bad. 
there's this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> where <laughs> Matt Cabanis Adley says Sick Bay was Hoshi's first stop. Couldn't Flox have given her some Valium for the claustrophobia? Good point. I, I agree <laughs> with that point. He had all those uh, syringes, hypersprays laying around. Uh, Rune Vendler says, Shockwave Part 2. One, it's impossible for you to understand. Two, do-it-yourself time travel communicator. Three, Hoshi's shirt. Four, they let Silic go. Five, when I was in my early 20s on a trip to East Africa, I saw a gazelle giving birth. Two out of five. You know, I... in. This is not a defense of the Hoshi shirt scene, but I, I did identify with that very much because there's a with my back stairs. Anytime I'm taking out like the recycling bin, so I'm like I my, my they they're kind of like sort of steep and kind of twisty, so I'm already on edge trying to m- navigate my way down these stairs with and and it's a tight squeeze to like close the door and then move down the stairs if I'm carrying something without fail every single time I do it. My the pocket of my jeans gets caught on the banister yep. of the stairway, and I'm for a second I'm caught between that moment of I'm either really secure or I'm about to die. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, I I usually work through it and it pulls my pants completely off. We have a staple at the bottom of our cellar stairs that it took me about four finger injuries. Before I was just like, all right, I have to get rid of the staple. <laughs> At this point, it's just the perfect height for it, and it's yeah, that's like that's like a low low grade uh, quiet place problem where you just get that nail sticking yes, up out of the, yeah, the exactly. bottom stair. Yeah, I, I chose how low stakes my my life is, where it's just like I'm I'm not going to take care of this at this point. Captain Brazen <laughs> says, "Shockwave Part Two in the future, Archer and Daniels are brainstorming what to do. Uh oh, the Sulban have captured the Enterprise, marching two by two. Though there's action displayed, I find myself dismayed for there's nothing new to learn from watching Shockwave Part Two. Was that a poem? Yes, a three middling season premiere well out of five. I think people are getting creative with the limitations on their five sentences. Well, you just uh, moved ahead of one of the older." patrons and how much we like you. You get a special emphasis on your name now at this point, Captain Brazen. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about Shockwave Part 2. It seemed like the consensus is a two to a three on this one for the Mm -hmm. patrons. Uh, Are you going to disagree or agree with them? No, I agree. I'd say say it's a three. I'm, I'm, I'm still in that pocket of like, I don't really know how to grade a lot of these because they are fine. They're fine. And I don't think this is particularly bad, and I don't think it's particularly good. Um, I I do like, like you were saying, that they they clearly have reassessed some things uh, or at least cleared some things up. Um, Whether or not that they maintain any of that going forward is is up for debate at this point. Yeah, they've definitely regrouped Um, as a staff yeah. it seems like that it's like this is what this is about we're gonna have to hit this point at this point going forward but yeah i'd, I'd give it a three i'll give it a three as well i think it's a low three i don't think it's mm-hmm. really you know it's 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 sort of it's fine as an action episode of this series i think and they actually do the the direction of the action sequences i think is actually pretty good i think that the plot all makes sense archer has to come back i wish there was a little bit more to it it's it's continuing you know, Enterprise's lack of subtext to a lot of things is really the problem here where it's just the, the plot is all there and I can't really find fault with a lot of it. It just feels very mm. perfunctory as some of the patrons right. are going to say. Yeah, it's like there's nothing really wrong with what they've done on a surface level. It's just like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's the really honestly to that point to um, 
the biggest, I think that's the biggest problem with enterprise to this point, really. And I've probably said this before for a different thing, but watching this episode, it's really the lack of any kind of substantive topic of the episodes. It's really kind of a problem with a lot of enterprise. And I think that they think the temporal cold war has substance to it, but it doesn't at this point because it's still so um, ethereal about what's supposed to be going Mm -hmm. on. They add a little bit here where you know that the Federation depends on you, Jonathan, so you got to go back in time. But there's no, um, even their sort of morality episodes, like the hunting one, it just feels like they don't focus on the theme of what that's supposed to be. And so you're left with empty action is all that you've got going for it. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. That's it for Shockwave Part 2. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash Lipinski file is the best way to do it. And I think that we'll be back with the next episode, which is Carbon Creek, in a couple of days. Um, anything else you want to say here, Clay, about this? Or uh, anything else coming out that you want to say? Uh, we just had a new Badass come out last week where we did uh, two episodes, one with Scarface and one with Maxi Zeus, the rich guy who thinks he's the Greek god Zeus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this week we've got a new Rotten Horror Picture Show where we talk about uh, one of my favorites that is not on the Rotten Tomatoes list, um, Return of the Living Dead, which is, for my money, probably like number three on my list of favorite zombie movies behind um, Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, it's a big favorite of mine. You guys can go to thepenskefile.com for both of those shows. You can subscribe in the apps, podcaster apps, or you can just follow the YouTube channel because they show there too. Um, I created a YouTube clips channel. So if that's of any interest to you, we just sort of cut out little bits from all the other shows and put them into a fresh YouTube channel. So you can subscribe to that. There'll be a link down below to do that as well. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Patrons, there's a new poll about what uh, to talk about. It might be closing by the end of today, the Monday. So um, if you want to influence what we talk about for the month of August on Patreon, you can do that. There are a couple options and the top two will get the choice. Um, I think that's pretty much it, really. I think we're good. Carbon Creek is next, and then we're back into where we're continuing on with season two of Star Trek Enterprise. So, thank you guys very much for listening. Check out the other shows at thepenskyfile.com, and we'll see you next time. See you.